right. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, yeah, just to kind of piggyback on what Pastor Jason said, uh, at Arise, I'm kind of the uh, the punching bag over there because it, people are wondering, what is a Baptist doing in a Presbyterian church? And I always tell them, I have no idea. I just know that, you know, the preaching is good and the worship is great. Um, but I'm really happy to be here and feel really honored and just really happy to to, to see Doreen. Um, you know, we've known Doreen. My wife and I have known Doreen for a long time and their family, wonderful family. Um, but let's get right into it, um, into Ruth's, uh, the book of Ruth. And if you want to turn there uh, with me, please join me uh, there. And um, I, you know, I've never preached through a whole book, and so I was a little bit nervous even attempting to do it, but um, I got a lot of help in, in preparing this. Um, Brad and myself, the, the, uh, Brad is the, um, the lead pastor at Arise, we sat down together and looked at this, and I, you know, I always tend to want to do more. And so I, I told Brad, I said, you know what, I'm going to read the whole book. And he said, oh, you sure you, you want to do that? And I said, oh, yeah, it's going to be a piece of cake. And then when I read through it myself, it took 16 minutes to read. And I thought, you know, at, at, after lunch, everybody's going to be snoring, so we're not going to do that. But I'm going to read a few passages, and then uh, we'll get into the purpose of the book, the themes, and some applications uh, from this wonderful book. We'll start in uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, and I'm reading in, uh, from the New American Standard Bible. And it says, Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem in Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Verse 3, Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died, and the woman was bereft, or deprived, of her two children and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the land of Moab, for she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. Now let's go to verse 15, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. Then she said, Behold! Your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. 
So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. So Naomi returned and with her Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Let's uh, go to chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servants, sorry, his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? The servant in charge of the reapers replied, She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from the morning until now. She has been sitting in the house for a little while. Let's go to chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now is not Boaz our kinsman, in who, I'm sorry, with whose maids you were? Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. It shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will tell you what you shall do. She said to her, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law had commanded her. When Boaz, sorry, Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came secretly and uncovered his feet and lay down. It happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled, and he bent forward. And behold, a woman was lying at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maid. So spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. Then he said, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after the young men, whether poor or rich. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask. For all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. Okay, the last section, chapter 4. 
uh, verse 1 through 6. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. So he said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down, and he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the closest relative, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belongs to our brother Elimelech. So I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know. For there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth, the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. The closest relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. May, uh, sorry, you may have right of redemption, for I cannot redeem it. Okay, one more section, 13 to 22. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and she, <clears throat> sorry, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer today, and may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age for your grand, uh, sorry, for your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons have given birth to him. Then Naomi has given birth to him, excuse me. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. The neighbor women gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. To Perez was born Hezron, and to Hezron was born Ram, and to Ram Aminadab, and to Aminadab was born Nashon, and to Nashon Salmon, and to Salmon was born Boaz, and to Boaz Obed, and to Obed was uh, born Jesse, and to Jesse David, and we know who was born after that. And we're going to talk about him a little bit more. But the theme that we have in this book is rebellion, restoration, returning to God, redemption, a redeemer, kinsman, loving kindness of God, and loving kindness of others to one another. The purpose of this book is to show how God is faithful to complete his covenant promises and to bring redemption to his people. So in the first section I read in verses one, chapter one, verses one through six, we see that God is already in the process of providing a redeemer, a king for his people. The theme of kinship, kingship is given in the first two verses. And how do we see that? Well, the kingship is realized by the direct mention of the background of the judges, where we see if you go to, uh, you don't have to turn there, but if you go back to Judges, the last chapter, you see that what was happening in Judges is that there was no king in Israel, 
and everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. And we know that God had promised a king way before Judges. Also, what I see here too is that in the name Elimelech, which literally means God is king or God is my king, we see that the Holy Spirit, he is, he's trying to get us to think about kingship, both in a negative, from a negative perspective and a positive perspective. The negative being that in Judges, there was no king, and that's the background explicitly mentioned here. And the reason I'm focusing on that is because when we get to the last few verses of this book, what do they talk about? What does uh, the author tell us about? About the genealogy of David. And of course, we know that genealogy of kingship ultimately is going to be fulfilled for a king in Israel is going to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And, and we see the, the mention of Bethlehem uh, over and over again. And of course, we know Jesus was born in Bethlehem. We know David was born in Bethlehem. So what's happening here is that the theme is being presented to us in an interesting way. It's a very typical way for narratives to, uh, to tell us what the author is talking about, is using different um, methods and, and uh, tools, so to speak, in their writing to, to tell us the theme. So like I said, the kingship theme is alluded to in the last verses where the genealogy of Judah is traced to David. And the kingship theme is unified even uh, more clearly when we get to chapter 4. So the background of the book, as I said, is the time of the judges, which reveals the fact that there is no king. Everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. And the, but the book of Ruth, what, what the author wants us to understand by giving us this background and talking about the fact that there was no king, but yet pointing forward to the king that's going to come is that we understand God's faithfulness, that his faithfulness is never ending. It doesn't matter, you know, how bad things look around us or maybe the unfaithfulness of the people around us because we're going to see that even though there was unfaithfulness, book of Judges, there was no king, book of Judges. We're going to see that Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz stood firm in their faith in God's promises, the covenant promises. You know, and, and sometimes it gets really discouraging, doesn't it? When we look around and we see unfaithfulness and it's just, it's just rampant everywhere. But don't be discouraged because God has his people in the right places faithful people who are willing to obey God and walk in the loving kindness of God in the loyalty of God and are willing to be those vessels that are going to be used to bring forth God's um, mighty acts on the world. Um, you know what? I don't have a clock on me and I don't see one anywhere. Where is it? Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. That's a small clock. Okay. <laughs> So 14, is that 1,400 hours? Yes. Meaning, okay, great. All right. So, <laughs> so what we see here is that 
Noemi and, and her family go out from uh, Bethlehem in, in Judah. It was a time of famine. When you read the background of Judges, it, it was just a horrible time. And, you know, God used this famine to get Elimelech and Naomi and the two sons out of, uh, of Judah. And he had his purposes for that. Now, the caveat to that is this, and here's an application for us, is that although the famine was what caused them to leave, right? Remember, the covenant promises were to the people of Israel that God said, this land is yours. I'm giving it to you. And they were not supposed to go anywhere. They were to stay put. And that, you read the whole Pentateuch, and you'll see that over and over again, all the way through the book of Joshua. So, you know, let's not be too hard on Elimelech, okay? Because he's trying to take care of his family, and he's like, I've, I got to get him out of here. It's just, it's bad news. So whether he was right or wrong in doing that, that's not really my point. The point is God is sovereign in every movement that we make, everything that we do, and frankly, even in our disobedience, even in our disobedience. Let's, let's assume for a minute he was disobeying God because the covenant promises were very clear, and he went there. You know, his intentions were, I got to take care of my family. I got to do what's right for my family. My kids need to eat, and we're going to do this, right or wrong. And yet look at the mercy of God. He, they end up in Moab. Terrible situation. Elimelech dies. Then his sons die. And Naomi is left with her daughter-in-laws. What a terrible situation that was. In, the, in this part of the world during this time, if you were a woman and you were a single woman, and I mean, it was hard. You had no recourse unless you looked to, to uh, Yahweh, to the God of Israel, which Naomi, <clears throat> I would think that she had a very strong witness for these two uh, daughter-in-laws to want to cling to her even after the husbands were gone. Because, you know, let, let's, I mean, let's just be frank, right? Young Okay, wit, uh, widows, right? They could have gone out and found another guy. I'm sure there was available guys in Moab that had jobs, right, that could have taken care of them. But there was something that was going on, especially in Ruth, that caused her to cling to um, Naomi. And let's, <clears throat> let's look at that. So, um, and what time are we going till? <laughs> Just so I'm sure. Okay. Thank you. I should have asked that before. Um, so so the, the, let's talk about God's covenant love and loyalty, how it engenders faith in his people, and it causes them to turn back to God, even in suffering and in just terrible situations. <clears throat> when we get to, um, to verse 15, we start seeing the return, right? They start coming back to uh, Bethlehem. And it's interesting to me that Ruth, you know, because we know Oprah was, um, Orpah was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm going back to my gods, 
But Ruth didn't do that. You know, she could have just said, man, if that's your God who kills your husband and your sons, don't want no part of that. Let's be honest. I mean, in that situation, that could be one way you go, right? You think, no, I don't, I don't want that. I don't want that God. But she didn't. And, and I asked myself, why? Why wouldn't she do that? Why instead would she say, you know, my, uh, your people are going to be my people. Your God is going to be my God. So, and I, I started thinking about other places in the scripture where someone called God my God. For example, in Genesis chapter 29, where Jacob is in his little journey and, uh, you know, he's wrestling with God. And he says to God, if you feed me, then you'll be my God. Basically, that's what he says. If you take care of me, you'll be my God. Another place in the New Testament, John chapter 20, um, after um, the uh, resurrection, right? When Jesus appears and uh, he appears to the disciples and then uh, Thomas, you know, uh, gives that line, my Lord and my God, calls Jesus my Lord and my God. And what I could see here, and not only in the book of Ruth, but throughout the scriptures, is that when you know that God is your God and you call him your God, it's because you've had an experience with his covenant faithfulness. And the, the highest or the greatest experience we could have in God's covenant faithfulness is where we know that our sins are forgiven. Think about it. You know, we could, we could pray to God and, and be asking him for food. We could pray to God and be asking him to help us. But when you know your sins are forgiven, when Jesus Christ has taken your sins, the only right response is my God. He is my God. I met a, a, a man last week and, uh, you know, we were just talking and he started to tell me the story of his life. And, and he was sharing, you know, pretty intimate things and how he needed to forgive somebody that had hurt him really bad, so bad that he tried to kill this person, but he never did it. And I, I let him talk, and then I said to him, well, that's good that you've forgiven that person, but how about your sins? Have they been forgiven? And he just stopped, and he looked at me, and his whole demeanor changed. And and through that experience and, and through reading about Ruth's um, you know, her, her reply to the God of Israel, I thought to myself, you know, in my own experience, having been raised in church from literally, I was just seven days old when I was taken to our church, baptized into the faith that uh, my parents raised me in, and going to church all my life, and hearing the gospel, and, and participating in various sacraments and praying, I would pray every day. But I remember when someone said to me, a Christian said, Lou, you can't go to heaven by being good. You have to be born again. And when I heard that, I got very agitated. And I thought, 
what is this guy? Who does he think he's talking to? I'm, I am who I am, and my faith is what it is. And I believed I was going to heaven. But I realized when he spoke those words, it wasn't really him. It was the Holy Spirit showing me that, you know, religion isn't enough. We need to know that our sins have been forgiven. And the only way that they can be forgiven is through Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. And so one of the themes of this book is about the physical Redeemer, the King of Israel, who would act as a Redeemer, physical Redeemer, saving people from their enemies, from the, from the Moabites, from the Philistines, and et cetera, et cetera. I, I highly recommend you, get a, when you get a chance, read Judges and then read all the way through Ruth to get a good background. So I'm uh, understanding about the Redeemer, but really the focus uh, towards the end of this book is going to be the Redeemer that's going to come, the ultimate uh, Redeemer and Restorer. So, you know, like, unfortunately for Noemi, her experiences, right, had been very bitter and difficult. And, you know, there are situations in our lives uh, that maybe have already happened or they're yet to happen that uh, will cause us to shake our heads and wonder, what is going on? God, what are you doing? And I'm uh, reminded of uh, a, a New Testament passage that can help us uh, in, in these times like what Noemi and Ruth went through. And it's 1 Peter 4.12. And I'm reading uh, f- uh, from the New King James Version. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. That when his glory is revealed you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, or an evildoer, as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let them not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. So God's loyal love is exactly where you walked away from it. Because maybe you're here and you've walked away from that loyal love. Yeah, you're in the building, but your heart, maybe you're far from that love. But his loyal love is right there, right where you first saw it. So Noemi went back to Judah, which is a portion of the land that was allotted to the tribe of Judah, because you know what? That land for these people, that, that land was the, um, the physical uh, manifestation, or I should say, it was just a reminder, probably easiest way to say, of where God's love was at, because he brought them into the land, and in the Pentateuch, he says to the people in Deuteronomy, can't recall the chapter he says i'm doing this for you because i love you that's it that's all that it is about it's god's love god wants to take the bitterness and the the hurt and the pain that you've experienced and somehow through that he wants to show his love his faithfulness to you so 
it's, it, his love is right where he showed you the first time. You're not far from it. So, you know, uh, for believers today, right, Jesus said these words to us. If you love me, you will obey me. If you love me, you will obey me. It always comes back to love, the love of God. You know, John 3.16, you know, so often quoted, right? Um, but it's really the, the heart of it all. It's the love of God, so great. Not that we deserved it, but his love is just so great that he would give his only son for us. So let's go to the next section here. God's covenant love and loyalty ultimate fulfilled by the near redeemer and by the ultimate redeemer, King Jesus. So Naomi and Ruth were poor and without hope, humanly speaking. I, I mentioned that uh, in the beginning. And they needed God, God's promises to be realized in order for them to rise out of their poverty and hopeless condition. So we read the, the portion where they came back to the land and it was the barley harvest was happening. And what does Ruth do? She gets to work. She gets to work because she's already realizing that the promises of God to the people of Israel are directly connected to the land. So she gets right to work. And so Boaz, and, and of course, she knows also that this is her way out of poverty because from the book of Leviticus and all throughout the Pentateuch, we have the laws of uh, reaping uh, that were particular to the people of Israel where they um, would let the, the weed and the grain in the corners of the fields just fall to the ground, just leave it there, don't touch it. As a matter of fact, God commanded them, if you pick it up, you're going to hear from me because I want that left for the poor and the foreigners and the widows and the orphans. So Ruth knew and Noemi knew that that was their way out. But they were not looking for a handout. They got to work. Of course, Naomi couldn't get out there and do that. That would just been that would have been a tragedy for her to try to get out there. So Ruth went and she so happens to end up in the field of Boaz. No coincidences, right, in God. So here's Boaz now. He's the willing uh, servant of God who is going to help Ruth. Now, he was probably an older guy, and we, we get that idea from when he tells her in uh, chapter 3 that, hey, you didn't have to go after the young guys but you waited for me. And actually, she even proposed to him. That was the whole thing about the covering. So, and of course, Noemi had a help in that. She played the matchmaker, Jewish matchmaker, Netflix. Anybody watch that? Yeah, that's, I love watching that. It's hilarious. I mean, I definitely don't agree with everything they do there, but it's just, it's interesting. So here's Noemi playing the matchmaker and Ruth just getting to work. And there's Boaz. Um, the willing servant. So God brings, so, so here's what we see here. As I mentioned earlier, we see that loving kindness of God being poured out on his people and then his people responding with loving kindness, especially 
um, Noemi, Boaz, and Ruth. And again, remember, this is all in the background of the times of the judges. And um, it was a real terrible time, but they didn't take their eyes off the promises of God. It's so easy to get discouraged today. Uh, I was just talking to somebody, um, I don't know if it was earlier today, but they were saying, man, I just can't believe what's going on out there in the world. And, and my encouragement was, you know what? Just don't even get your eyes on that. Take your eyes off of that and keep them on God's faithfulness and you'll see God do mighty things. It'll take time, but it'll happen. So now, Boaz, so talking about the, the loyal love and the, uh, the, the concept of the Redeemer, without getting into all the technical terms of the Goel and all that stuff, just, just know that he, Boaz was a willing kinsman redeemer. And, and so here we're seeing in the most normal and mundane and maybe even selfish things of life, right? Because Ruth wanted a, a, a husband, a family. But that's okay. That was part of God's plan, right? But remember, she didn't just run out there and grab any young Jewish guy on the street that had a little bit of money. She waited, right? She waited because, you know, she also was thinking about Naomi. And so here we see the loving kindness working through just the most mundane and normal desires of life. But when we're willing to obey God and his promises, somehow our desires just become part of his plan because he's sovereign God. When we're willing to obey God's promises and follow hard after God, somehow our desires and our, our, you know, the things we want to see become part of that whole plan of God. We're going to see that in the end. Naomi ends up with a grandson and with a redeemer to buy back the land that was uh, her husband's that had been sold. So Boaz, again, acting as the redeemer, the willing redeemer. And what happened to the other close relative? Who knows? He just wasn't part of it. He kind of went out of the scene just like uh, Orpah went out, just going the other way. And that happens in life, no? People come into our lives and people just go. And God is sovereign even in that. So, you know, have you ever thought about a situation where you realized your hopelessness? You know, you, you've, you've felt like, man, I've hit bottom. And, and, the, and then all these doubts start invading your life and your thoughts and your attitudes. Or, or maybe think of it kind of uh, another way. Think of it as, uh, you know, how about, how about uh, God using me to do something for him? Have you ever thought to yourself, why would God want me? Why would God want to know me? Why would God want to use me? Why would God want me in his family? Why would God want to, um, to use me? Why, why would he want me to share the gospel with my neighbor? 
or with my coworker or just with anyone? Why would God want to use me to serve in music or worship or to pray for the communion time or to, to work in the nursery or in the, in the kitchen? So this full spectrum of why would you know, this happen to me? Why would I be hopeless to why am I having these doubts and these attitudes all the way to why would God even want me? That whole spectrum. Have you, have you ever thought about that? I have. Well, the answer is his love. That's it. Kindness of God, which we see in this book, the loving kindness, the hesed, that's a Hebrew word for that we translate uh, into English, could be loving kindness or mercy. It's all throughout this book, the loving kindness of God. And, and something that's kind of hidden, but yet it's really from Genesis all the way to Revelation, it's the glory of God. So to answer those questions, why am I hopeless? Why am I dealing with this issue in my life? Why are these thoughts invading my mind? Uh, and, and why is my spiritual condition where it is in my thoughts? Or the other side, you know, wh why would God want to use me? Why would God want me in his family? It's one simple answer. And it's uh, shown here in the book of Ruth. It's the love and kindness of God. And, and that sounds like, well, okay, that's so obvious. Maybe it is for some of you, but not for everyone. So when we get to the last chapter and the last verse, and it ends with, and Obed was born, to Obed was born Jesse, and to Jesse David, and it stops right there. You know, one of the things you learn in seminary that the beginning of a letter and the end of the letter are very important because the beginning of it tells you what the, the rest of it's going to be about pretty much. Of course, you know, if you're talking about Proverbs or, or Psalms, not necessarily, but in narratives, the beginning lays the foundation of what the book is going to be about. Remember, this started out with talking about there was no king, but yet it says that Elimelech, God is my king, leaves Bethlehem. And now it ends with abruptly with David. That's the last word in, here in the English Bible, David. I believe that the author knew, and, and this was, you know, uh, written um, not, not uh, during the time of the judges, although it does cover that historically. I believe that the author wants us to fill in after David and realize who is the ultimate redeemer. Because even though it started out saying there was no king, and then Elimelech's name is God is my king, and then Ruth proclaims, my, he's, your God will be my God. The author wants us to look forward to the ultimate king. And this story of Ruth is really a model for salvation history. It's really a model for all of salvation history. We see the people of God, 
Israel in this book, in the first chapter, which is, is exactly how God starts the Bible, right? With he, uh, he creates and then he brings in Abraham, right? To, to start the people of God, the Jews. Then, and of course, he promises to Abraham not only um, that he will have a son and that a, na- and a nation will come from him, but that the nations will be blessed because of, of Abraham. The blessing of Abraham will go to all the nations, i.e. Ruth, a Moabitess. And then we see that the background of the judges is just about rebellion and a falling away from God. That's redemptive history right there the fall. Then we have the the prophets that come in and give the message, Uh, not only the prophets, but in the Pentateuch, we start seeing uh, pictures of Jesus coming, the the Messiah, the Redeemer. We see, you know, it's interesting, the book of Leviticus, right? One of the hardest books to read through is probably one of the books that is pointing to Jesus more than any other book because of the sacrifices. And then, of course, in Ruth, and just like we see when we get to the New Testament, the uh, Gospels, and then finally in the revelation of Jesus Christ, we see the redemption and restoration fulfilled. So, sorry. So here is God's salvation plan being given to us in a little nugget. Is that David would eventually come and then when you get to Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy goes through through David and to Jesus. So what I want to leave us with is really the, the crown of this, is this book, is that the, the king, the ultimate king has already come. He's our redeemer. It is Jesus Christ. And like I said earlier, it, it, it's walking with Jesus is not about just praying to Jesus or asking Jesus for things, but it's knowing that he has taken your sin away, that it's, it's been done because of his work on the cross. The, the cross work of Christ has been made effective in your life by the repentance that you have shown the confession of your sins, and by crying out like Ruth did, my God, this will be my God, that Jesus will be your God. See, God just doesn't wink at sins. How do we know that? Because Jesus died on the cross. It, it, this is not like, you know, the story of redemption is not just like Hollywood where, you know, it's just everything's good in the end and it's done. It wasn't good for Jesus. Because he went to that cross for us. He went to the cross as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. You know, in the book of Acts, one of Peter's sermons is that, you know, you wicked men have crucified the Lord of glory. But that was according to God's predetermined plan. Jesus was not a victim. Jesus was not a martyr. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice of God that came he, he fulfilled the law perfectly, every stipulation of the law. It was fulfilled in him. And then he suffered on the cross, not for any sins that he committed. There was no sin in him. 
but it was for our sins. And he is now our perfect high priest who intercedes for us. Not only is he the perfect sacrifice, he's the perfect high priest. If you are in Christ Jesus, it's not about how good you can be, but it's about how perfect of a savior is Jesus to take away your sins. And he is. He's a perfect savior. And, you know, if you haven't believed on Christ to forgive your particular sins, I, I really implore you to do that today. To believe on Jesus Christ to be your God and to take away your sin. Because he dies, died as a substitution, a substitutionary death on the cross. And he's exalted in heaven now. And he is the true and final Davidic king. So in this book, what we've seen is that God is faithful. He is a faithful redeemer. And even, and, and even in the background of the ugliness of the book of Judges, we see the loyal love of God in action in the lives of Noemi, Ruth, and Boaz. And, and, and really to us, too, because of the coming King Jesus who has already come. And that loyal love of God is unfailing and it's personal. And there are dire consequences to walking away from God or ignoring God's promises. And the story of Noemi, Ruth, and Boaz is an example of how God reveals himself to frail and imperfect people through the covenant promises. And he bestows his loving kindness and redemption on unworthy people. And finally, the ultimate and perfect display of God's loyal love and covenant promises are perfectly, excuse me, fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, what an awesome book this is. And I know there's probably many questions that people might have about uh, this book. I pray, Father, that um, they would be diligent to just read through it and glean comfort from it. And also, Father, for those who may be struggling with um, knowing your forgiveness, God, I pray that uh, you would just help them to understand, to embrace your loving kindness, your mercy, in the, the great Redeemer, Jesus, so that their sins could be um, dealt with and that they can know you and spend eternity with you. Just thank you for uh, this time with my brothers and sisters here. And um, may we just go encouraged and uh, ready to serve you uh, with even more zeal than when we came in. In Jesus' name.